What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn, we've got to do a new ad, mate. We do. We're long overdue. We're not going to be sponsoring Einzerwiener anymore. Yeah, well, fuck no longer. He's fucking not paying us. <laughs> no. We've just figured out. No. We've just, he's sitting right here in front of us <laughs> and we've just figured out he hasn't actually been paying all no this time. No wonder there's no bread and milk on my table fuck. in this house. After we were just nice to him. <laughs> we're just, fuck him. We're just flattering him. We were just whining and dining him, <laughs> looking after him like a big fucking client we'd look after and then we find out he hasn't find been paid out he the hasn't bill. Been paying us. the bed. He's doing it right now, so <laughs> we may as well tell people that if they're in Australia and you need dog gear. Don't get it from him. Well, get it from wait, him. Wait until he pays the get bill. Get it from him so that he can pay us. <laughs> What's your stupid website, Jason? E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K.com. There you go. Get your stuff from there. Okay. All right, on to the real sponsors. Yes, the people who actually pay the bills. Canine suticles. Yep. The best canine suticles. Premium grade. Yep. Human quality. Yeah. It's going gangbusters at the moment. Thank you to the community who have been supporting yeah. it. It's great shit. Dan Croft. Yes. In Canada. In Canada. Yes. Toronto, Canada, I believe. Yeah. Yes. What were we pushing for him? It's puppy class. Puppy class. Yeah. Amazing puppy classes in a great facility. Barbara de Groot. From the heart dog training. Barbara just loves us and we she love She just Barbara. loves us. Barbara is our sugar mama. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that literally is the things called, right? Yeah. The tear that she called. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The sugar mama tear. Thank you, Barbara. We appreciate it. Thank you, Barbara. You. We love you. Horny George Kittredge. Yes. Rowdy Hound dog boxes. Yeah. yeah. The box is incredible. I saw it for the – did we talk about this? Have we done an We have. Since? We yeah. have talked about how amazing the boxes is. You and I travelled from – where did he pick us up? What, what airport that was, was that? Uh, in Colorado. Colorado. He showed us the prototype. Yeah. We was talking through it. You and I were sort of thinking this is never going to take off. Yeah. And finally he it's does it. Deal. He pulls it off. Not only does he pull it off, it's fucking brilliant. Like it's safe. And he also does classes where he teaches people how to use them as well, like teaches the dogs how to get up on the bike seat and then load into the box itself. And it's bloody brilliant. It's incredible. Really proud of George. Lovely guy. And I'm really happy that this is paying out for him. All right. Daniel Trapino? It's actually Tropiano. He corrected me. Okay. So anyway, Daniel Trapino. <laughs> Dog Club. Dog Club, Australia. Australia. Yeah. It's a cool little facility he's got there. It's a there. great facility. Get yes. in, check it out. He does all the, all the training. Yeah, he's decked it out. He's got it all looking schmick. It's a bit street. It's a bit edge. It's a bit kitschy. You yeah, know? he's got some cool artwork yeah, and stuff there. Check yeah. it out for yeah, sure. It's great. It's about time South Australia started lifting its game. Good on you, Daniel. Yeah, leading the charge down there. Well done. We've got a new one. Who we got? Tailored Canines. We have too. They contacted us on Instagram, yep. stumbled into our advertising <laughs> tier, and away <laughs> we go. Yep. So they're in Canada. They are. They're in Ontario. Gold, Nipopo gold people, yeah, gold multiplicators. I think, I think they're a gold multiplicator. Yep. yep. So if you're recently certified as a silver school and you're mm-hmm. looking for somewhere to do your gold yep. and you're around the Canada or just anywhere up that northern part of the Americas, Check it out. Tailored so they canines. do puppy, adult group classes, private and board and train programs. There you go. So thank you for jumping on and advertising with us. Hey, everyone. 
If you would like to be an advertiser, <laughs> do reach out to us. <laughs> Shut up, you bullfed. So I know that on Patreon and we appreciate people just putting money in there. That's wonderful. Yes. But we do have to limit how many people we have. And so get in contact with us. Make sure that we actually can serve you and that we actually, you know, can provide you value as an advertiser. And that you align with our ethos as well. Of that, course. That's very important. That would be appreciated. To recap. Our sponsors are, and the people we love because they give us a lot of money. Yes. Well, it's not a lot of money, but some money. Yeah. Einzewick, he promises he's going to do it. He's look, I'm looking at him now. I'm looking at the reflection of him fixing Has it. Has that gone through yet? No, because still trying. Got shit <laughs> Dan Croft, puppy classes, yep. cool facility. Barbara DeGroot. Amazing sugar mama, lover from the heart dog training. George Kittridge. Rowdy hound dog boxes. Daniel Tropiano, Tropino. Dog clubs. Troppy Daniel. <laughs> Dog clubs. Australia. Yeah. And new to the family, tailored canines. Yeah. All the way from Ontario, Canada. So we've got two Canadians. That'll do advertising. Yeah. Mo- do. Mostly from the United States. One from Oz. Well done. Well played. Thank you, sirs and madam. Check them out. They support us. You yeah. should support them. Yep. Here's a show. There's a show now. Here's a show. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm at my shop and I'm talking to my co-host, Glenn Cook, who's in the studio. How are you, sir? I'm good, sir. Haven't seen you for weeks in person. It has been weeks in person. Busiest time of year for you. It's amazing. Incredible. How many dogs do you reckon you got? A billion? A trillion? Probably a billion and a half. <laughs> a billion and a half. Yep. <laughs> it's like when you see someone say they've trained 100,000 dogs. You're like, oh, Really? Really? Have you? Those sort of things are funny. I did see a post on that quite some time ago. Somebody who was trolling other dog trainers was writing about, if you've trained this amount of dogs, you would be this old. You know, I kind of looked at it and I thought, that's if it's not including lessons, group classes, all those sort of things. Yeah, yeah. You've got to take into consideration that there's a lot of time. But I mean, I've also seen some of the outrageous claims people have put online as well about what they've done. And and I totally agree. Like when you do the math, it just does not add up. There is Mm. a significant difference in what they actually do. But look, there's a continual amount of disgust with people in the dog training realm, the real estate realm, the pig farming realm about how people put themselves out there and how thirsty they make themselves sound and how busy they are and their ridiculous social media contents that they farm out there. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. There's always going to be a level of malaise and disgust and horror and torment, whatever it is that other people suffer and endure because of it. Yeah. Hey, we've got a topic. We're going to discuss a Facebook post that's been doing the rounds in the balanced dog trainer community. Yep. We just spent a few minutes sort of thinking about this because Tracy, <laughs> I feel like we've tried to say your last name and been corrected on it in the past. So I think we're going to have to have you on at some stage, if only so that you can tell us how to actually say your name. But I'm sure I'm butchering it, but it's Tracy Rackage? I feel like that sounds right. R-A-C-I-C-H, Rackage. That's I'm sticking with that. Yeah, that, that sounds we'll, good to me. Well, we'll just say Tracy. So Tracy. Tracy's made this post. It's been getting around. It's a really interesting post, and she's posted it in our group. It's a public post, but it's in our group, so I'm going to read it word for word. I'm sure she won't mind. Yeah. She's tagged us in it. says, Pat Stewart and Glenn Cook touch on the subject, but I'd love to hear more. So you're about to. I would love to get you on the show, Tracy. We should do that at some point to discuss this further, but we're here now, so we're going to discuss it. 
All right, I'm going to read it. The post says, made four days ago, it says, ethics in dog training. The conversation is ever-present, as it should be because we are making money from a largely uneducated public. We are in an unregulated industry, but the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter if you are in a highly regulated field such as medicine or completely unregulated field such as dog or horse training, everyone falls somewhere on a skill spectrum based on experience, knowledge, and natural talent. Regulation will not change that beyond the very base level. So I want to pick this apart a little bit. So that's the first paragraph. And that I agree with very much. I think that it's one of those things. What do they call the guy who comes last at medical school? Doctor. Doctor. Mm. Yeah. And so the truth is like in some jobs, we look at people and we go, oh, well, in order to have that job, you have to be incredible. And certainly there's a, a lot of training that goes into many and all the jobs but there's a spectrum of people within every range. And it's interesting that Tracy uses medicine or the medical field as an example of that, because it's something that I tend to do a fair bit as well, in that I usually talk about how everybody makes mistakes at work, right? Like everybody does that. My wife's a tattoo artist. She's put a spelling mistake onto someone. Now it was checked by the person, it was their print that she put on, but she still tattooed it onto them. And like every tattooist has done something similar like that. They go outside the lines, you make a mistake, something goes wrong. I am a dog trainer. I for sure have missed the appropriate time to click. I have accidentally popped a dog on the collar when I didn't mean to. Like we all make mistakes. I just think that the stakes of the mistakes that we make, depending on the job that we have and the industry that we're in can be really different. Mm. And sometimes, you know, I make a mistake and no one gives a shit. The dog doesn't care. Nobody even knows that it happened. But a surgeon makes a mistake and it can be a huge problem. And they turn up a little bit hungover, a little bit under the weather, a little bit not the best version of themselves. And a mistake in that role can destroy someone's life forever. So we're in an interesting position in that like we certainly do have often have dogs lives in our hands for sure. You know, we have the emotions of the dogs and the clients and there's a lot of people that are relying on us to do our job correctly, but some days I'm shit at my job. Uh, and I think that a lot of people are the same, you know, like part of our job is doing this podcast and some episodes are better than others. Sometimes, you know, I can't get my words out correctly or I don't have anything that punchy to say, or I don't do a good job of explaining my point as well as I have at other times. And sometimes I do a great job. Sometimes they've got really good episodes. Sometimes I speak really fluently. Uh, there's no problems in what I say. And there's that full spectrum in between. So I think that's one of the things to keep in mind in all people and all jobs is that you yourself exist as a spectrum. Like no matter where you fall within the spectrum of competence within your field, of course, some dog trainers are on aggregate, much better than other dog trainers. Some people, if you look at the entirety of their work, what they're capable of, what they do, they sit at a much higher level than other people. And there's people who sit at the lower level. But even then within your own capability, there's a bandwidth, there's a spectrum. Like some days you're a better version of yourself. Some days you're a shitty version of yourself. So I think that's something to always kind of keep in mind. And that the reason I bother to go through all that is that I feel really deeply that Sometimes, depending on the role that you're doing, depending on the job, and you know, there's a lot of variables in this sort of thing, but what I think quite passionately, I, I think that someone who's doing the best that they can and putting in the best effort that they can and is being the best version of themselves, even if what they produce 
is less than somebody who's doing the shittiest version, but they're so naturally talented that it's still better than the other person. I prefer to go with the person who's working hard. I prefer to be in the company of the person that's doing the best that they can. I prefer to work with people who are striving to be the best that they can rather than somebody who is naturally talented and is just flying by the seat of their pants. What's your thoughts, Glenn? There's a lot in that. There's so much. (laughs) (laughs) There's a saying that my colleagues and I have where we say we hope that we never have bought a motorcycle that was built on a Friday for a very good reason. Most people who build them and the manufacturing standards, especially some, you know, like the motorbikes that we buy come from organizations and companies who pride themselves on their customer relationships, on the quality and the tooling that they actually do. However, that saying exists in every line is I hope I didn't buy a motorbike that was built on a Friday because if you go online and you see some of the forums, take my bike, for example, I've got a BMW S1000XR. It's an absolutely fantastic machine. I love it. It's an incredible motorcycle. Hardly anything ever goes wrong with it. It's had a few little hiccups. It's not infallible. It's not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Overall, it's an incredible bike with an incredible history with an incredible company. However, if you go on some of the forums, some of the people are absolutely jumping up and down about their bike has broken down, it shit's just gone sideways on them. Those sort of things happen and that's where I learned that saying is don't buy a motorcycle that was built on Friday. Nobody is infallible. Like you alleged before that you've made mistakes in training and you know people that have made mistakes. Who hasn't? We all are tarred with that same brush from time to time. We make mistakes. We do silly things. We have off days. We have days where you're not well. You're not thinking great. You've got other things on your mind. Things have popped up and it's clouding judgment. All sorts of things goes on. But that's not regularly how you are or how you operate. I was thinking about this the other day and I read that post only this morning. I was sitting in bed and I saw that post come up and I I read through it and I thought to myself, there's a lot of times where there has been some incredible people in different fields of things that I've wanted to be mentored by and there are days where I've been in their company and I've been and, you know, I've paid for or I've received mentoring for them and there are days where I thought incredible, outstanding the most amazing training that I've ever had, the most incredible insights that's ever been offered. And then the exact same person a month down the track is just toilet water. They're just (laughs) unbelievably off their game. You can just tell that they're not interested in what they're doing that day. I've taken a hard stance about that in the past against people, but then found that I've done it myself where I've Mm. just lost interest in something. It's not so much lost interest. I think that's probably unfair to say. What it has done is something has competed with my interest or something has been overshadowing my thought process at that time and it appears that I don't have any interest in it but something competed at a higher level and I've thought to myself, I know I'm not supposed to have thoughts about this right now. I need to leave this alone until later in the day but for some reason it's just creeping into my mind and I just can't get rid of it. And Mm. funny thing is, man, I don't know why, but there seems to be a spate of people at the time where this is a new year and people should be working on their visions and their growth. But right now in 2024, there's a lot of people who are suffering. Mm -hmm. I don't know why the trend is so high at the moment. I have been speaking with people as a friend and as a mentor and even in some situations in consult 
where the conversations haven't really led to overall happiness. It's about a need or a requirement to express some sadness and some darkness that's going on in people's lives. I don't know if it's because of this growing trend that banks have just thrown an incredible burden of interest rates at people and being dog trainers, we're seen as a necessary evil by people sometimes. That certainly has something to do with the hurt that people are feeling in it. Overall, thinking on this and reflecting on some of these things, some of these people that I'm having these conversations with, they're very competent people. For some reason, they've just got it in their head at the moment that they're not enough. They're just not enough Mm. or they're not doing enough or not enough is happening. You and I have reflected on this in the show over, what are we doing this now for? Five years. We've been talking about this over five years on and off where it comes up where even you and I have these feelings of darkness or the desire to think that maybe it's time to just pull the pin and get out of it or change direction because for some reason this is just not resonating. I'm just not feeling the vibe. That happens from time to time. When I do see people that that's happening to, I kind of feel this overarching sadness that resides within me because I think some of the best people I've met and some of the most talented people I've met have the least amount of confidence in themselves at times. Whereas, mm. And again, I know I've said this, I know it's a reflection of the past and I will continue to say this, but some of the most ignorant people, some of the people who have run in the industry for five minutes have this incredible confidence where they'll beat their chest, they will throw up clip after clip after clip on social media and yet the real talented, the, the artists, the people that should be teaching every sort of person who wants to get into dog training, they're the ones that seem to really get a kick in the gut sometimes. I mm. don't understand that and I am desperately sad for them that they are going through that. That sort of touches on other things Tracy says here. So maybe I'll finish reading everything she says. So she talks, as we discussed there, everyone falls somewhere on a skill spectrum based on experience, knowledge, and natural talent. Regulation will not change that beyond the very base level. So that's something I want to come back to and touch on as well, the regulation piece. She then goes on to say, I think it is obvious that not every dog needs to be trained by Bart, Ivan, Larry, insert name of well-known experienced trainer. In fact, many dogs don't really need much professional training at all. Even most first-time dog owners successfully housebreak their puppies. Dogs need a person that cares enough to be consistent. Most cases are simple and much dog training is far from splitting the atom. But we still have a problem with ethics in our industry. The problem is not that people on the lower half of the skill spectrum are training dogs. There is a place in our industry for the lower skilled trainers and lower experienced trainers. That is in the lane of simple cases where clients just need some guidance. The problems come when people don't recognize where they are on the skill spectrum and are charging exorbitant amounts of money for consistently shaky results. These people continually resort to blaming the client's lack of follow-through. The reality is the greatest tell that you are aware of your current location on the skill spectrum is good, solid results. The other ethical problem is taking dangerous cases that are well beyond your skill set, usually out of ego. There is no shame in referring dogs out. It can be a great learning opportunity. The last point I want to make is obvious, is the obvious possibility of moving up the skill spectrum. A trait of someone that recognizes where they are on the skill spectrum is wanting to be better and further their education through mentorship and study. We should never discourage this if we truly want to fix the problem with ethics in the industry. 
The answer is not to pull up the rope once you're at a certain level and surrounded by certain people only to look down and scoff at the people with less, less experience. The answer is knowing the difference between who knows where they are at on the skill spectrum and who chooses to ignore their current position and take money and cases beyond that position. I would love for this to start a conversation on any platform. She's touching on what you were talking about there, mate, and that people who are not so highly skilled trainers, not such competent trainers, everybody starts out somewhere and we all come into this game pretty unskilled, you know, pretty unknowledgeable. At some point, everybody has to take a first step. I think what she's referring to there, or certainly what she's referring to there, is people who in that category charging money that they shouldn't be charging as though they have a skill set that they don't have and taking on cases that are beyond their skill set, beyond what they can possibly do. And I think those are two different things together as well. You know, I think those are two somewhat separate situations where somebody is taking on cases that they shouldn't be taking on is a different thing to somebody who's just charging more than what somebody else is potentially charging. Extremely well-written post. Originally, when I read it, I had to read through it several times. I had to really reflect on a few of the things she's saying and feeling along the conversation. I too believe that there are very well-known trainers out there who are absolutely the wrong type of person to go off and train, board and train dogs, dogs that are new in the industry because they don't really want to do it and they don't care about it. And, mm. and they have a shitty attitude about it altogether. Honestly, they're the bottom end of the person that you'd want to meet because you're of no interest to them. Mm. They will still take your money and they will still develop online courses and try and funnel you into things. I've got to be totally honest, mate, absolutely the wrong type of person to be doing the dogs. Whereas mm. some of the newer people are absolutely incredibly enthusiastic. Their customer service is impeccable. Like they really want to do it. They really want to work with the dog. And the type of person that I would say is the best marriage of all of that is somebody who has mentored under one of those people. I'm not saying that any of those people that were mentioned, I'm not talking about them. You could throw any well-known trainer there. As long as they do actually have a broad spectrum of knowledge and they have gone out and done their homework and they are an intelligent and insightful and a disciplined person who actually does know the basic steps of how to improve the level and the understanding of what their client needs. They only need to be a few tiers above them, you know, one to two Mm -hmm. tiers above them. That's all they really need. Let me refer to what we call in law enforcement as, and you know this as well, is the use of force continuum. And the use of force Mm -hmm. continuum, again, it's probably something that you've heard me rabbit on about in another episode, but it dictates that if somebody was to assault you at a certain level, the way to resolve it so you're not accused of excessive force is only at a level above that would mean that you could effectively control the situation. So all it is is Mm -hmm. saying that you need effective control of it. So there's almost a use of intelligence continuum or a use of education continuum in what we're actually doing when you've got pet dog people who have got an issue with getting their dog to lie down on a bed or not be a pain in the ass when they've got visitors around. If you've got a competent and willing person who has done some study, done some education, had that problem themselves with their own dog and they can go out and say, hey, I've had this exact same problem 
this is what I did to resolve my issue or I've got a few tricks up my sleeve that I've worked with a mentor and they've shown me how to control it by doing this. So this is what we're going to try with your dog. If that doesn't work, I've got a couple of other suggestions and generally you find that that is a perfect solution for your dog. Now, I'm not saying in every situation that's going to be appropriate. Like I'm not going to say that always works out because you've had trainers around your house that when you had a pet dog issue mm. that you wanted resolution to and they weren't able to provide it for you. Yeah. And, and once again, they're the type of people that I'm referring to as not having a full index of capabilities. Like they've got a one-trick show. And that's literally what they're hanging their head on. Mm. That might sound harsh. That is the reality of a lot of those situations. And this is where the industry really gets inflamed because they will go out with the bravado. They will go out with the confidence. They will go out with the advertising. They will go out with, I can do all and I can fix all attitude. And they can't do any of it. It's all marketing. It's just a big funnel that they're trying to tip you into. The issue is, as we've always identified and where the customer gets gyrated and where the trainers get gyrated is that that person may never ever go to a trainer ever again because of that introduction they had first impressions are lasting impressions they may and i'm saying may i'm not saying will i'm saying may they may get to a position where they feel like well that was so insulting and that was so demeaning to have that person come around here and just kick me in the balls and make me sound like i'm an absolute fuck up and a piece of shit And I can't do anything to effectively control my dog because I don't subscribe to a methodology or an ideology or or to be frank, I just don't know. And that Mm. is where the industry falls short. And this is where we have a continual separation of thoughts, feelings, ideas and sharing with people is that there are people that are given advice and then they're treated like they're part of the problem or a criminal for not following through with with the advice where it really clearly doesn't work for that dog. It's not just one shot fixes all. It's the same with people and their metabolism. You can't just say, we'll take this pill and it will just fix you. You know, there are times where you have to go at it several times. You have to go back through consult. You have to go back through, let's tease this out. Let's explore it. Let's find out where and what is going to work for you and for your dog so we can effectively resolve this. Mm. Yeah, I agree. A big part of the issue whenever with this sort of conversation comes up, my brain goes to a few different places, right? Same. So, of course, there's people who just watch the Caesar Milan box set and then look up whatever the going rate is for a dog trainer, double it, make a website, and out they go. And, of course, those people are a huge problem. And that maybe, you know, there isn't just the people that watch the huge the Caesar Milan box set. There's the people that watch the Victoria Stillwell one as well. So, they're, you know, equally useless at both ends of the spectrum. <laughs> from from watching just a, you know, what is a stylized TV show, not to shit on Caesar, but, you know, it's a stylized TV show. It's not reality. It's not really how he deals with dogs. And so... I think that there's people that do that for sure, and they're the people that I can get behind hating on. But I think the other thing that also happens in the industry is that we have a lot of people in dogs, and certainly, you know, I've been guilty of this myself. I struggle. This is something I struggle with all the time, who really don't value their time and their skill set as highly as they really should. Yes. And sometimes we see people who get upset that their competitors are charging double or triple what they are, and are right when they say that they're more experienced, they're more capable. But if your competitor is competent and they're charging way more than you, 
and their books are full and they're doing a, a competent job of what they're doing, then you can't begrudge that person. That person just has a skill set that you don't have. And maybe that's a marketing and sales skill set. And, and that's absolutely something that you can pick up. That's part of business. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of dog trainers, and again, like I can say that that's one of the things that a lot of dog trainers don't understand because I was absolutely in this category. One of the things that I found so difficult about leaving the army when I did was that in the army, you don't like you get paid a salary, but you're not involved in any money. There's no money that you see come and go. It's not until you're a pretty senior rank that you even see the budgets. It's that you have to tarp for like, you know, buying things and and the consumable stuff that you use in the army and you have to know what things are worth. But for the most part in the army, you just do your job. You have KPIs that you have to hit and none of those are monetary and you just get a paycheck. And so that for me, and I know that there's many, many people who are in the same situation, whether they come from a different background or not, that they've never had to really think about what is my profit and loss here, you know, and how does business actually work? You know, a lot of dog trainers, and certainly I put myself in this category for a long time, you think that when you're going to a consult, you just charge what the hourly rate is, like whatever you think that an hourly rate would be for a person that does that and forget that your business has to make money. And so you don't get all that money beyond the tax implications and that you know, some of that money is getting gobbled up by the government. Your business has to be making money. You're an employee of the business. You're getting paid by it. You don't get all that money. There has to be money that goes in and goes into the business for growth and for advertising and all those sorts of things. And so there's a lot of, I suppose, a lack of education on that. Although what I see now is there's quite a few people who are doing that now. There's there's quite a few dog trainers I've seen who are transitioning. I see it online. I see they you know, they've got social media posts about it, who are transitioning from the business of being a dog trainer to teaching people the business of owning a dog business. And I think that's really good. I think that's fantastic that there's people that are doing that because I think that's something that our industry needs quite badly is people who can teach people how to do that. Yes. But I I agree with you entirely that there's people who are in our industry that not only give individual clients bad experiences. Maybe they say they can help in a circumstance where they can't. And and again, that hits both ends of the spectrum. There's people who turn up and throw cookies on the floor and don't ever actually help the dog and take six, 12 months to get any sort of, in many cases, no progress in that time. And they've taken a bunch of money from the people. But a lot of those people are not just cash grabbers. Like we often want to refer to them. Like there's a lot of people in the, I'll say it, in the force free community who their training methods take so long to show any form of effectiveness that the amount of sessions that a client's going to do along the way is going to be astronomical because they need you to come every week to coach them through this complex variable reinforcement strategy that may or may not work over a six, 12, 18 month period. And we can look at those people and people like you and I can get the shits about them, but a lot of them are not doing that for the financial gain of having to come back every week. It's because they truly believe that's the best way to train a dog. That's a different person than a person that is actually stringing someone along, you know, that actually is just taking money from someone knowing that they can't fix it. When this conversation comes up, It's very complex because it's not as simple as saying everybody that's overcharging is a piece of shit. Everybody that charges more than what is the going rate is a piece of shit. There's all these layers to this stuff. Like why are you charging so much more? What is your skill set? Where does that lie? And I think as well, a lot of people really don't know exactly where they fit on that spectrum. Like how on earth do you possibly measure that? 
if you're competent and you're ticking boxes and your clients are happy, how do you know or why do you care whether you're better than the neighboring dog trainer or worse than the neighboring dog trainer? Like, why is that of any importance to you if you're competent? If your clients are happy, you're achieving what is measured as success by them because they're really all that matters. Mm. It's a tricky situation and, and it's not a linear answer, which is why I think this post has gotten so much traction all over the internet because there's a lot of layers to it. I think one of the things as well that we often see, I get messages about it and I've sent messages about it, right? <laughs> is that when people vague book, right, where you put up a thing saying, and look, we've done this, we've done this to people on the show where you say, oh, these pieces of shit that have no business charging that much money, the people who think, oh my God, Pat's talking about me, it's 100% not you that I'm talking about. Because if you're even considering that, if you're even for a moment thinking, oh my God, I'm charging too much money, it's he, it's me that I'm talking about, it ain't you. Mm. Because the people that we vague book towards, the people that we just throw these things out into the ether and say, oh, their skills aren't high enough, They should, you got to be a world champion before you're allowed to train any dogs or you should teach anybody anything. The people who then go, oh God, he's talking about me. They're not talking about you. A lot of the times they're just fucking talking. There isn't even a point to what they're saying beyond the fluffing of themselves up. They don't actually have an avatar or, or an actual person that they're thinking of when they say that. I think that a lot of the time, those kind of comments, that those kind of problems when it gets around the zeitgeist of our industry of that people aren't any good and they shouldn't be doing this, the people who heed that, the people who go, oh yeah, some people are no good. I'm one of them and I need to change my act. They're not the people that need to change their act. They're the people that are probably already striving really hard to be the best version of themselves that they can because that self-doubt is what drives them to do that. The people who probably need to hear that message are never going to, first of all, they're not listening to our show or reading Facebook posts of other trainers, they tend to isolate themselves. If they're listening to a show like us, if they're reading posts like Tracy's here, then they're a person that usually is striving to better themselves, that mm. does consider themselves part of an industry that they're moving with and contributing to. It's the people who are outside of our industry, they're in our industry, but they're outside of the, the touch points that we have, that they don't interact with other trainers, that they isolate themselves quite a bit. They're the ones that usually are who we're talking about. And when we're talking about them, we're not talking to them. We're just sort of throwing shit against a wall. And the only wall that it sticks to is not the wall that we intended it to. <laughs> There's a lot in that one as well. <laughs> Very good point. There's a lot here. Yeah, there is a lot there. I do feel like over the years, this conversation has done some laps around the racetrack and for good reason. It's something that mm -hmm. needs to be spoken about. There are new people moving into this space. You know, as I referred to at the start of my monologue is there are people that are finding life very difficult at the moment and they're the classic overthinkers. They're the people that think they're never doing enough. And mm -hmm. from knowing some of these people very well and meeting some of these people only ever for the first time, I can already tell that they're people who really want to do the right thing, who pour their heart and soul into the work that they're doing. Believe me, I've been around for a while and I know a piece of shit when I see a piece of shit. I know people who are scammers and I know people who fuck this industry over and do not care about a legacy. They have no intent to leave a legacy. All they want to do is cut the vein and bleed it dry. Take everything that they can. They know they're not in it for a long period of time. It's just a stick up. They just want to grab the cash and run. 
mm-hmm. there are other people who really do care, who are really invested and do educate themselves and they do turn up and they are contributors and they are people that when there's education on offer, they're there, they're doing what needs to be done to better their skills, to make sure that new information is used wisely and and also the legacy that we talked about before, they do want to impart that on other people. They believe that it's a responsibility of, of theirs that if they're collecting that information, then it has to be dispensed equally and, and diligently into the community, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Should you charge for it? Absolutely. You said before, you know, like if people are charging an, a, a sum of money, I've always been an advocate and a believer that if you're providing a service and people are happy and you're doing great things, charge for it. You should be charging for it. Yeah. There's enough dogs out there and there's more than enough problems with dogs for us to all live well and live happily ever after. And you made a good point before the year was over where you said, correct me on this statement, but it was words to the effect of before you worried about what other people have, make sure that you know that they have enough in their bowl. Say the I phrase, stole that. It's a saying, I can't remember where I heard it first time, but it says the only reason you should be looking into somebody else's bowl is to make sure they have enough. That's the first time I've heard that. I haven't heard that before. I liked it. It really resonated on me. There have been times where I haven't lived that. There have been times where I've suffered envy over somebody else doing well and I've thought, that's not fair. Why are they getting this or why have they been awarded that? But then I look back at my own life and I think, don't fucking complain, man. You're doing all right. You're living pretty fat. Stop whinging about things. And if you want more, then do more. Be more. That's your fault and your responsibility to make sure you're doing that. Don't worry about other people doing well. Congratulate them. When I was in the United States, somebody over there was talking about the Australian tall poppy syndrome and saying it's a very unfortunate way that Australians don't support each other by wanting to cut each other's heads off when you start rising. When Mm. you get too big, your colleagues, your friends and the people that you've been around, instead of patting you on the back and saying, hey, man, keep going, you're ready to touch the moon, they're more worried about hacking you down and trying to keep you down so you can stay and be one of them. You can never, Mm -hmm. never rise above them. And shamefully, that does happen. And shamefully, I will say, I've been part of that before where I've wanted to stop somebody's success because I've been jealous. It's just pure jealousy. As I revealed before, there's been many times where I have seen people and I know that they don't deserve it. But still, at at the end of the day, it's still none of my business. I have no right to go up to somebody and say, hey, stop earning so much money. Hopefully, in many cases where people are found out, frauds are people that are, are quick to reveal themselves. And especially now that we've got social media. Social media is such an expose of who is doing what to themselves. Word gets around. The puppy mummies will band together and and complain about you. And before you know it, you've developed the reputation you so deserve to have. Hmm. In contrast to that, there are also people who have got the reputations they don't deserve to have just simply Hmm. by this cancel culture of sickly-minded people who, for some reason... They're dogged on wanting to destroy other people. And because they're influential and they've got it in their mind that this person deserves to go down, they can really do some terrible damage to other people. You know, especially online, cancel culture is a really interesting thing. I listened to a podcast about this the other day. Mm. It was a bit of an investigation into a bunch of streamers that had had scandal and what they basically concluded was if you think you're uncancelable, you're uncancelable. And so what happened, there were a couple of 
paces that they gave. And I could think of some real life examples from the dog training space where something happened and it was the kind of thing that you think, oh, that person's done. They're going away forever. We've seen the end of them. And if they take that to heart, then that's what happens, right? Like, or, or it can take years to be able to show your face again or whatever. What they actually found with a bunch of these streamers was that you just have to go hard with more content. <laughs> so this one streamer, I can't remember what it was, but he did something and he, or he said something, you know, it was enough that the lynch mob came after him and he was canceled. Yep. So he went live again the next day and just faced it. And it was, you know, an onslaught, right, of people just harassing him. And then the next day he did the same and it was a little bit less. And on the third day he did the same and it was a little bit less. And on the fourth day it was back to normal. And so what they were explaining is that there were many cases where you just have to go hard in the paint and keep going when somebody wants to cancel you and with you're only remembered for your last three pieces of content. And so the next three pieces are going to be pretty tough. But when you get to the fourth, then it's back to normal and away you go. Now, I can't imagine doing that. I get one bad comment and I'm like, oh no, that's terrible. I sent out my first ever email the other day to 4,000 people, got actually hundreds of incredible replies, got a couple of mean ones. So I thought about all day. No, it's all <laughs> I thought about all day, right? Not the hundreds of people saying really incredible and positive things. The two dickheads that wrote back to me, I was like, oh, you're in my head, right? So like, that's just how some people go. But to people who don't let that in, and I'm thinking of a particular dog trainer here in Sydney who was in my area and is now in a different one, but he was in the Facebook groups and the guy's terrible, right? The guy promotes alpha rolling dogs that pull on the leash, but then calls himself a force free trainer. As near as I can discern, doesn't know anything about dogs. His own dogs killed a puppy. He takes shadow students and that kind of stuff like people and charges them a fortune. And the guy had seemingly has no idea about anything to do with dogs. It seems that he just has decided this is the character he's going to play, but didn't do any research into the background of the character. But he just carries on. And every time that there's he does something or, or he's called out or, you know, like something happens, he just plugs through it. He just like, yep, okay, no worries. Three more pieces of content and this problem will be gone. Or he makes a new group when he's kicked out of one, he just makes another one or he moves locations and just carries on. And so they're the kind of people that I can see. I can look at it and go, oh man, that gets under my skin, right? Because this guy's taking a lot of money yep. from a lot of people. And on the individual level, like, yeah, it's really bad that he takes a bunch of money from individuals who want their dog trained. But what grinds me is that he takes students for people who then he's creating more versions of himself. He's creating more people that are as equally unskilled, as equally incompetent, and as equally assured of themselves that they are very highly skilled. And I think that's a really dangerous combination, especially when you start dealing with aggressive dogs. But there's no recourse for people like that. Like there's nothing we can do. And when we vague book about it, and like that's why I give so many examples so that people who know will know, but nobody should be thinking it's them unless you are the guy I'm thinking of. He's never going to listen to us. He's never going to care. He's nothing me, you, or anybody else in the dog industry could say or do will change who that guy is because he's a con man and he'll con this industry until it can be con no more. He could get what he's gotten from as, as many people as he can and then he'll redirect and he'll go to another one. 
like if he were to read a post like this, at the start here, it says, yeah, it drops three names. Tracy says, I think it's obvious that not every dog trainer needs to be trained by Bart, Ivan, Larry. Insert name of well-known experienced trainer here. This guy would be like, who's Bart, who's Ivan, and who's Larry? He would have no <laughs> idea. You know what I mean? Because he's so far removed from the industry that he would have no idea and he's not going to read anything like this. He's absolutely not going to listen to this podcast. Even if someone forwarded it to him and said, Hey, you got to listen to this. These guys were talking about you. He's not going to do that. He's not going to acknowledge that anybody has anything to offer other than what he already knows. That's why I feel like so many trainers like us get so frustrated because what recourse do we have on that? It makes me want to circle back around to the right at the end of Tracy's first paragraph here. She says, regulation will not change that beyond the very base level. And that's what I, I really firmly agree with. And so I wanted to ask you, Glenn, imagine regulation came in, it was worldwide and it was good. You were happy with it. You were consulted entirely and it was exactly what you wanted. You got to set it. What problems do you think that would fix? Like what would be the pros of regulating our industry in the best way that it could possibly be done? Accountability. Accountability? Accountability. And so how, what that, would that look like? Accountability in the fact that in some cases now, especially in New South Wales, if you really fuck up with animal welfare and you're prosecuted, you're banned from owning a dog or an animal for the rest of your life. That's it. You're, mm -hmm. you're done. Mm -hmm. I feel that in that situation, if you were convicted of something or you were fraudulent in your behavior, then the committee of your peers agreed, that's it, your license is now cancelled. It's the same way that you're being a plumber or electrician. Like you can't mm -hmm. do it unless you're actually qualified and certified. You can't just have some old mate just turn up and say, yeah, I'll do your electrical work because then your insurance won't cover you. They'll just say, mm -hmm. yeah, fuck you, I'm not insuring you. Mm -hmm. You're an uncertified person. I don't know who you are. I don't know what school you were trained. I don't even know if you were trained. And now mm -hmm. poor old Mrs. Jones' house burns down and nobody covers her because she let some dodgy fraudulent piece of shit go in there and wire her house up. I mean, I am an mm -hmm. electrician. I know how important that is and how dear to my heart that is. I'll give you an example, right? This house I went to, this is in Doncaster in Victoria. This is years ago when I was a kid. I went into this guy's house. He could barely string two words of English together. And I was there. It was just as I started to do jobs on my own. And I've pulled the ladder out. I've gone up into the manhole. And, mate, I was in absolute shock when I went up there. He had literally wired his own house with speaker cable. Like it was undervolted. It was ready to burn down. The place was a tinderbox, ready to burn down. Very expensive house. Like the guy had money. He had mm -hmm. a Mercedes in the driveway but he'd done all his own electrical work. And when I went up there, I came back down and I said, sorry, mate, I'm not touching it. And he's going, I want to speak to your boss. And I said, yep, no worries. I rang my boss and I said, I'm at this house in Doncaster. The guy who owns the house would like to speak to you. Put him on the phone. He abused the shit out of me for about 20 minutes on the phone. I'm standing there while this guy is talking about me in the third person, like I'm just the world's biggest cockroach. Finally, my boss gets back on the phone to me and he goes, Cookie, what's the problem? And I said, mate, his entire house is wired in figure eight flex. And he goes, put the ladder back on the car and leave. And I said, that's what I thought. <laughs> so I got back there and I said to my boss, I'm sorry, man, I'm, I didn't mean to put you in that situation. He said, mate, you did exactly the right thing. And had you have touched anything, he said, I would have kicked your ass out of the company. That sort of thing is a liability for all of us. Mm. 
I think on that regularly and I have used that story before when I've trained adults in how to be dog trainers. That is a conversation that comes up almost exclusively every single time that I've had a conversation with them is this is what happens when you have unregulated people running around unchecked without supervision because it's happening now and this is why there are leagues of people still fighting with each other over force and force-free dog training or balanced and force-free dog training, whatever you want to call it, because there's so many people out there still swinging dogs around in the air and throwing them Mm. on the ground and recording their sessions and putting it online thinking, hey, man, isn't this cool? Look how I stopped this dog-aggressive dog by literally caving its head in and kicking in the ribs a couple of times. I know that's exaggerated. I'm exaggerating to tell my story. But the point is, is there's been some horrendous and immeasurable damage done by people who have put this work online and they are very, very much unqualified people that are making the move. That's what I would like to see. If it was regulated, that that there was a committee of peers that had said, your ticket is checked. You are done, son. That is it for you. You are not in our industry anymore. And then you could say to people, if they don't present this card when they come to your house, don't let them touch your animal. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's like, I'm really anti-regulation because I know- Me too, man. I don't like overreaching government. I've spoken about it. I don't trust them. The worst people who look into our industry are people who don't care about our industry. They just care about the popular politics. That's all Mm -hmm. they're really concerned about. And they're just dreadful people. There's no care. It, It doesn't mean anything to them. There's no legacy. There's no care. There's no thought. They just basically tick a box and literally wipe out an entire industry just because that's the type of person they are. They're literally a amoral personality type. Mm. Yeah. That would be the benefit that comes with legislation. And, and we don't even need necessarily for it to be proper legislation. It's what it's the role that I'd hope that industry bodies would one day hold properly in the dog space is that, you know, we can self-discipline. We yep. can you know, say like, hey, this guy is not suitable. We have, it's not necessarily a certification, but it's a, a, you know, at least a member's organization that if you're not a member of, the public would hopefully know like, hey, you should be, anyone you employ should be a member of this organization. And if they're not, then it's usually because that, yeah, that organization has deemed them unsuitable to be there. But I just think, unfortunately, I, I think that all the organizations that, are capable of doing that, are really only interested in doing that. They're not actually interested in in creating good dog trainers, creating a better space. They're really just interested in the power and control that would come of it yep. and the influence that that would give them over the people within the organization. So it really puts us in a very tricky position, which is why you know, I'm so anti-regulation or legislation that would prevent someone choosing to become a dog trainer. Mm-hmm. Hey, I wanted to ask you about the pricing piece on this post that uh, Tracy's put up, talking about exorbitant amounts. Now, me and you, we always use the same figure. We always say 750 bucks. It's no doubt gone up now <laughs> because <laughs> probably 10 years ago, there was a person that charged that much. At a time when I was charging $100 an hour, there was a person who really, I feel pretty confident saying that I had a much, much, much higher skill set than charging 750 bucks an hour. And so what's your thoughts on pricing and and that sort of stuff? Like at what point should someone start charging and how much should they charge? What have you got to say about that? It's a hard one, man. This question has come up regularly throughout many years and through this podcast and just general conversation. 
it's a question that I guess people usually look to their peers to say, well, if you're frowning on me for charging a figure, then what should it be? What I like to do is work on collaboration. I like to work collaboratively with other people where we can say, this is fair based on the medium income of most people who own dogs. And this is a reasonable price without robbing them and where you can still make generous money and live well and have a significant income from. However, Mm -hmm. that also sounds like communism where you're basically Mm -hmm. saying to people, well, you can't live any better than your neighbor. We all need to drive the same car and live in the same house and wear the same clothes and eat the same type of food. I'm not a supporter of communism. I'm a supporter of if you work hard and you do things really well, then you should be able to rise above other people who expect a handout or don't want to work as hard and basically want to live that sort of lifestyle. Mm. Here's where I stand on this situation after I've given it much thought. You should be allowed to live the lifestyle that you want within your capability. So if Mm. you want to goof around, play video games, scratch your ass and do whatever you want to do, and you're happy with that lifestyle, like that gives you a sense of satisfaction and happiness, then good luck to you. And I'm happy for you. Sincerely, I'm happy for you. If you're the sort of person who wants to get up at five o'clock in the morning, smash your body hard at a gym, get in the office at eight o'clock, leave the office at seven o'clock, don't see your family, earn a lot of money, drive a Maserati and life is where you want it to be. Once again, good luck to you and I'm happy for you. That's what you want and that's what you're working towards and and you deserve it. You know, like if that's really the epitome of what success and happiness looks like to you, then good luck to you. That's great. What I don't like to see is the roles reversed where you get somebody who is lazy and does get all the handouts and the other person who does work like a Trojan and is a performance operative type of person who gets treated like shit. They under earn while this other trust fund baby is making squillions of dollars. That's where I think it sucks. And that's mm. where I find the regulation sort of needs to be decided on in, in, in what does it look like and how does the income ladder work or how does the pay structure work. And when you look at employment and you go to any award, Fair Work Australia has basically done that for you in in the Australian climate where you can go online and say, all right, well, I want to employ a dog trainer. We know that dog trainers and kennel workers and, and a lot of these people come under what we call the miscellaneous award. So when we look at that, we can say, all right, well, you're an adult. You're over 21 years old as far as the Fair Work Australia's guideline stipulates. So I can look at that and say, you're 23 years old. You've just started off in the industry. Fair Work has figured out that this is the wage that we pay you. Or if they're a highly skilled person, if they've done a bunch of courses, you've headhunted them, then you can negotiate your own term that puts them in a beneficial bracket because it's there for you. Mm -hmm. Like there's a guideline Mm -hmm. and a structure that basically determines what it is that you could pay this person or what you would like to pay this person, depending on the fact that you've gone after them, you've asked them to come and work for your company and you think they've got a skill set that's going to benefit you or whatever it is. At least that way, the work is done for you and your employee. They can look at it and say, well, that's fair. That's a standard that we can work off. Here is what the minimum is required. And, you know, like if we look through the earnings of like if you do overtime or if you do working on weekends or you're working on public holidays, this is the Mm. agreeable amount that you could be paid on based on that sort of salary. So I guess that way, depending on what you're talking about, if we developed an organization or there was an organization out there who basically said, okay, let's develop a set of guidelines 
and structures for people to do. Like if you have to drive to somebody's house and let's say, for example, it's an hour to drive there, well, then you should be compensated for that hour's drive because Mm. it's wear and tear on your vehicle. There's probably road tolls that you're going to have to pay if you live in the cities, all the petrol. Still time, yeah. Your time. Like it's time that you could have been drumming up work somewhere else or even a booked in a lesson for someone to come to you. Let's say, for example, you do some board and trains or some private lessons or whatever. Let's say private lessons and you've got six people coming to see you back to back. So you do a lesson, you have a 15-minute break, you do a lesson, you have a 15-minute break, et cetera, et cetera. That way you've got your income stream sorted out. You can work out exactly what it is you want to do and you've got your day structured, you've got your calendar set, but where you have to leave your territory or your workshop or your office or wherever it is and drive to someone else that's the hour to drive there, the hour to do the lesson, and then the hour to drive home. So that's got to be figured out into the pay structure of how you yeah. should be compensated as a professional for doing a job. Now, I did a job for somebody the other day. They wanted me to come out and do a lesson at their home. I gave them a guideline. They said, oh, that's a bit more than I thought it would be. And I said, yeah, but that's because I'm coming to you. It takes me yeah. 45 minutes to an hour to get to your place where the company needs to be compensated because I'm an employee to the company. I've got to do the lesson with you and then I've got to drive back again. And they said, now that you've explained that, it makes sense to me. When can we do the lesson? Hmm. That's something that's unseen sometimes and sometimes people see that's not fair. But what I have learned, and again, it's by having good conversation, like some several good conversations with you and listening to other people in just in general business mentoring and so forth, where they've said, explain things clearly to people list it out so it's not just left in the wilderness and they don't understand what's going on. Even normal conversations between us, Scott and I, my riding buddy, we went for a ride the other day. We were bickering about something the day before. And the only reason we were bickering about it is because neither one of us explained the situation carefully enough to the other person. He's one of the people I care most about in the world. He's my brother. I love him fantastic guy. He would walk in front of a bus for me and I would do the same for him. But we were bickering like a couple of little bitches over just something. The conversation we had the next day is because we do care about each other was, hey, let me explain. Let's talk about the breakdown in that because I don't like the way it was left. And it Mm. was fantastic. We had a great conversation. We were riding our motorbikes. We were in our helmets, talking backwards and forwards to each other and just expressing love and admiration for each other. And it was fantastic. We really had a good session with it. And I find that Sometimes that doesn't happen with the client. Sometimes the client is left very high and dry on the amount of information that needs to be disclosed to them on the services that you're trying to provide. Mm. Husbands do it to wives, wives do it to husbands, parents do it to children, colleagues do it to each other at work. And this is how the world starts to break down. And this is how we all start falling apart. To rewind onto something earlier that you were talking about with this council culture stuff, because that came into my mind as well. And you and I were talking about this the other day saying, aren't we just sick of the way that this is playing out. It needs to end. There's mm-hmm. we've we've had like a good run of probably about five solid years of it, even while we're all suffering with COVID, where people are telling us how to think, what to do, threatening to counsel us and so forth. Thank God for people like Dave Chappelle and Ricky Gervais who make comedy of it and then get on air and say, people say you can't say this. And Ricky Gervais said it the other day. He said, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You know, <laughs> look, I know I'm taking it to extremes. There's probably people who are listening to this going, well, you know, like I don't find their humor funny. Fair enough. That's your prerogative not to find it funny. I find some of this stuff hysterical and I find other things that they've said push the boundaries. But 
I like the bravery of it. Instead of just thinking, oh, I can't say that or I'm not allowed to be this person or I have to live a life of misery so you can live your more complete life, that's not equilibrium inside a culture. Hmm. I really feel that that is adding to our angst and our problems that we're facing. I know I've made this comment before. We went through two to three years of hell and we're not out of it yet. And we just don't need more reminders on what we can be and who we can be. And like, if you're a total and utter prick, yeah, I know you need to be called out and you need to be spanked for it. And there are those people out there who are horrendous people. There are times where I've seen people in the dog training community say it. And there's times where I've seen semi or active celebrity saying things. And I thought, man, that response was so out of context. It was just absolutely unprofoundly unfair what happened to that person just because a a lynch mob went after them who themselves are some of the most insanely corrupt people I've ever seen in my life. They do not live by the standards that they impose upon other people. I know I'm having a little ranty rant rant. There are times where I see people that are making suggestions or even creating these hard-nosed regulations about what you can and can't do with your dogs, yet they're the same people who communicate terribly and yet want us to have a standard and a guideline on how to behave with our dogs and yet they're the most unproductive and most unfair people when talking with other people. Mm. The, the contradiction in that is just astounding. We have a serial one of those in our Facebook group. It's wonderful. I enjoy when that person posts and further highlights what a horrible, horrible person they are while boasting that they're a wonderful dog trader. What a fucking fiction you live in. She goes mental in our group all the time. And I always comment. The last time I commented, I got 150 likes. There's a comment buried like 16 comments deep when she's going mental about balanced trainers. And I always write and go, hey, so happy you're here to act as a constant reminder of what self-righteous, nonsense, horrible people are within the forced free community. That's why I let you stay in this group because you can't help yourself, but show us that all the time. Carry on. Last one got 150 fucking likes and she'll disappear again for a few months and then she won't be able to help herself. They're almost like violators of human rights. You know, like they have this dictation about how we should treat dogs, but yet they have a profound hatred for people. And Mm. the contrast to that is just truly mind-boggling. Yeah. Matt, on the pay thing, to take it in a very slightly different direction, Mm. I get a lot of questions from people starting out in the industry because a big part of um, my guess is that people who listen to us, people who are interested in what I have to say, people who learn from me, the people who are at that tipping point are really, you know, dog training enthusiasts or they're in their first few years as a professional. Yep. One of the things you have to confront in that period when you're going from the hobby to the jobby is where do I fit? That's a big part of the the topic of Tracy's post, but also what do I charge? And something I encourage people to do, I don't know whether this is good or otherwise, but you know, me and Jane used to own a tattoo shop or Jane owned a tattoo shop. I stood next to her when she did it. Yep. What I used to encourage people to do, especially with apprentice tattooists, right, is you are either competent or you are not. And if you are not competent and you are learning, then you shouldn't charge. But if you are competent and you are able to do it, then you should charge what a person who is of a way higher skill set, but is also competent should be charging. And so- 
people would say, you know, usually they would do their first bunch of tattoos for free on friends and family or whatever. And then they would do like much cheaper than, than what is normal on other people. And I was always like, no, you don't do that. Like you can either do this well to the point where you should be charging and therefore you should be charging the same as what everybody else is charging. Or there's a significant risk that you're not going to do it well, that you're not ready for this. And in that case, you inform the person and you don't charge them. And so for me, that was the model I went into when I started training dogs. And, and I don't know whether it's right or wrong. I don't know whether that's good or bad advice, but it's what I did. And so while I was still in the army and before I was actually, you know, even before I'd considered becoming a professional trainer, I trained a lot of dogs for free because I just wanted to do it. I just wanted their hands on the dogs. I just wanted the time under tension. And so I would spend a lot of my time just training dogs for free. And I always told people like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like I'm kind of figuring this out. And I never took on anything that was way too far outside of my skill set. I'll admit I pushed the limit of that a few times because you don't know what you don't know. And I think that's a big part of it. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people who are the seasoned professionals, you, I, and others, we forget that that is a real position that I'm sure you were in. I yeah. definitely have been in that everybody's been in where you turn up thinking like, yeah, I know how to handle this. This will be fine. Or the brief that you got from the owner, the client, the whatever is not accurate. And so when, for when they give their description, you say, yep, I got this. This is totally within my wheelhouse. And then you get there and you go, oh, this is not. And it's not so far out that I'm going to say, hey, I can't do this. I'm going to refer you on to someone else. But it's like right at the upper level of my skill set. And I'm going to have to push myself to really figure this out and, and get this done. And if you don't take on those jobs, then you'll never improve. So you kind of have to do that. You have to be pushing the the boundaries of what you're capable of because that's how you start elevating what you actually are capable of. And so my advice was always, and again, I don't know whether it's good or bad, is that it's free unless it's full price. And what full price is really has a lot to do with where you are and the service that you offer. Because I think that sometimes, for example, my rent in this building is astronomical because <laughs> I'm in the city. I'm yep. in the city. This is, it's this is prime actually real like, yeah. Mm. And so what I have to charge people to come into here is more than what other people would charge. Like last time I was in the US and I told someone how much my rent is per month in this space, they nearly fell over because commercial property is not the same around the world. It's hugely different depending on where you are. Even go a few kilometers away from where I am here, it's going to be much cheaper. So what you can charge for your services really depends on not just what the service that you're providing, but where you're providing it and what are the overheads and that kind of stuff. And so yeah. that's why I think sometimes dog trainers, you might look at the pricing of somebody's, you know, you might get on a competitor's website or something and look at the pricing and it might be double what yours is. And people get angry about that. And they, but you don't know what their overheads are. You don't know the service that they're providing beyond what is offered on the website. And so I never really have an issue with it. And, and usually I find myself sort of encouraging people to charge more. I think that most dog trainers undervalue themselves, but all of that conversation, the cornerstone of it is competence. If you're not competent, then you shouldn't be charging. And that's why I sort of make it a black and white distinction. I find that much easier to manage. And certainly I've done plenty of that. I can't imagine myself now I would refer out. Like if somebody wanted something from me that I was like, oh, I'm not competent in that. Like I'm not the person. I wouldn't do it for free to gain the skill set. I would probably at this point in my career, I would refer that out to somebody else. So when and I do find myself doing a lot of referrals these days as it is. On that, there has been some good conversations that I've had with people where I've referred to this before. And I love this about them. I really admire them about them. 
I know you've had it. I know scores of other colleagues and friends in the industry have had it where it's just come up in conversation where somebody will ring you up and they'll say, had this client reach out to me this, I'm not confident to do the lesson. Can you do it and charge for it? But I come along and watch. 100%. Perfect case. Done. Yeah. That's part of the commission is that, yes, you come along and get to be educated for giving me the, the work and getting paid for it. As far as the pay structure goes, when you're trying to work this out, and this is a good one. Narelle had to go through this when she was trying to work out with canine surgicals, like at the start, there's supplements out there that exist. What do I charge for something that I have to pay this amount of money for? She enrolled with a business coach who is very financially savvy. And the two of them looked down and basically said, this is what you're going to pay for it. This is what it's going to cost you to develop this product. When we isolate everything done and you look at the core unit of it with this amount of orders, et cetera, et cetera, this is what it's going to cost you. Then you've also got to factor in your marketing, all of the other expenses that come into running a normal business, because that has to be considered. That can't not be considered. So if you're not financially savvy, then find somebody who can sit down with you and actually do a little bit of a spreadsheet on what will it cost you to do those lessons. Like if you leave your home to go and do a lesson with somebody 15 minutes away, 45 minutes away, an hour away, what will it cost you to do that? And you really need to know what that figure is. You must know what that figure is. We've done the same thing with pet resorts, like to work out what does it cost us to have a dog in a run and a cat in the cattery, what is the core unit for that cat or that dog to be in there? And we must know what that figure is. To pay staff, to have insurance, to keep the lights on, to pay for the food, any of the miscellaneous things that could possibly pop up, what is the core unit at peak times when we're full and at off-peak times when there's nowhere near as many pets in the facility. So Norell's done it, Pet Resorts have done it, you've done it, I've had to do it multiple times. We need to work out what is that cost to me? Once you have an idea of what that cost is, that's what it costs you. That's what all of your expenses all rounded up. They sit in a tidy little ball of that's what it is to cost you. So if you decide, oh, I'm only going to go $10 over that, well, forget about it. Go and dig a hole in the sand and stick your head in it because you're out of business. The idea of business is survivability. You need to still figure out what I didn't add to that before, which I did talk about, but which still needs to be spoken of is miscellaneous expenses. And miscellaneous Mm. expenses are the ones that really fuck businesses up. And this is why people go broke within the first couple of years of developing a business because they just think, oh, I'll just open a business. I'll get an ABN, which we have in Australia, Australian business number. I'll set myself up and I'll just start buying things willy-nilly and you live beyond your means and all of a sudden the income doesn't match the outcome. So what you need to do is find out what is that figure, add some fudge money to it, which is the miscellaneous expense, and then double it. And that's how you should understand on how to do any business structure you're at. Start with doubling it. Then when you feel that this is good, but it's not great, it could be better and I'm more experienced, my skill set has gone up and I'm getting five-star reviews on Google and whatever directories people are doing reviews on me, people are raving about my service. Put your price up. Okay. Every year have one or two price increases. It doesn't have to be astronomical. It doesn't have to be ridiculous. And you can just say to your clients, prices are going up. Living standards are going up. I hope you're still happy with my service. I'm going to put my prices up a little bit. You'll find that if you have that conversation with your community, they will support you. They'll go, of course, Narelle had a price increase recently. 
all the farmers where she buys all her organic stuff from, they've said, this is organic, Narelle. Like, organic's expensive. We have to do everything else that other people aren't doing. That's the cost of working with organic stuff. And she said, yep, unfortunately, I agree. I'll have to put my prices up. She reached yep. out to her community. Nobody didn't support her. People go, yep, that's what we expect. It's not outrageous. You're not ripping us off because they just wouldn't buy. People yeah. are supporting and that's how you measure the success in your business. Once again, when we talked about regulation and if the industry was to be regulated, these are the things that where you could get help from. Like a group of peers could look together and say, as a standard, this is where we believe the standard is and have a pay structure and a guideline for new people to come in the industry. Hopefully an organization could even build a head office where you could have people as their full-time job where people could ring up and say, I'm a novice dog trainer. I've done a course. I've studied under Pat Stewart. I've done this. I've done that. I'm ready to kick it on my own. Where could I go for insurance? What sort of prices could I figure? And then they could say, great, here's a PDF. I'm going to send it to you. It'll have a bunch of information on how to get started, a get started package on how to do it in your country, in your part of the world, based on the deliberation of many of the peers in the industry who have been doing it for a while and what their experiences have led to. Yeah, I agree. The last thing I wanted to say on Tracy's post, and we've kind of danced around it and like touched on this as well, is that in dog training, we often talk about education, you know, and she's got a a sentence here that says, the last point I want to make is obvious, is the obvious possibility of moving up the skill spectrum. And then she goes on to talk about education. When posts like this come around, it's like I said, the people who we're usually talking about, like the guy that I was just ranting about, there's no way he hears what we're saying. The people who are listening and are thinking I'm talking about you, I'm not talking about you. If you're listening to us, you're putting in the work. You're in the space. You're attempting to glimmer any form of coherence from the shit that we say when we just waffle to each other for an hour a week, right? I think that what a lot of dog trainers overlook when they think about upskilling themselves is the things that aren't dog training. And that's one of the things when I see a lot of dog trainers who get upset or resent the success of their peers and they know that they're a better trainer and maybe they are, but you forget that there's a lot of other things that go into being a dog trainer that isn't training a dog. It's business. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. And certainly I've been in that position. I get it. And I struggle with this daily myself, but it's that self-promotion. You've got to be able to do that. You've got to be able to promote yourself and your business, show your skill set, show that you're capable, show people what you're capable of doing and then price accordingly. And learning how to run funnels, learning how to run ads, knowing that you have to have somebody else do that for you, like all those bits and pieces they really come into the picture of what success is for a dog trainer. Just being really good with a dog is great. And that means you can be as good as you like with a dog, but to turn it into a business, there's other skill sets that need to be a part of it. And you have to develop those. And I think that it's a trap. It's a folly that a lot of people fall into is to look at their peer who they know they're a better trainer than and get angry at them because they're more successful. And it's just because they're doing work that you're not doing. They're they're putting in work that you're not doing. I'm somewhere in the mid ground. I play in the online space quite a bit. I'm nearly finished or I'm about to release in the next couple of weeks, the first couple of sections of my course. That's something that I'll be promoting. Sometimes people look at the people who do really well on the online space in dog training. And some of them are just kind of mediocre or quite good dog trainers that have a couple of hundred thousand followers because they know how to run that. And people look at them and go, oh, that's bullshit. They're not as good as me. Like, yeah, they maybe aren't as good as you, but 
I think what a lot of dog trainers don't understand is how fucking hard it is to develop and maintain and cultivate a following like that online. Like that takes a lot of fucking effort. That Mm. is a skill. And that's a skill set that they have, whether they are natural at it, like some people are natural dog training, or they've put in the time, effort, the energy. At the minimum, they're putting in the energy to get that promotion done. That takes effort. And that's a skill, that's the work that they're putting in that others are not. So that's why I think that this post from Tracy is really interesting because I really agree with her. Some of the points she's made are fantastic, but I I think that some of the attributions that get made, we sort of put this template over people and say, well, you're a very low-skilled dog trainer, you're charging too much, you're a problem in the industry. I think that we assign that too much to people when so long as someone is competent, leave them be. If they're achieving success, if they're staying within their lane and they're doing good enough, who cares how much they charge? Because if people don't want to pay that much, they can go to someone else. And who cares how much they self-promote? Because that's how they're generating that work. And that takes work. That is a skill set in and of itself. There's a lot to overcome in that self-promotion. Like it's not as easy as making the information and putting it out. There's the aspect of having to actually Put yourself out there. And that's a skill set. And that's something that needs to be practiced. And the people who are good at that deserve to be compensated for the work that they do. I see people who complain about people who do too much online stuff and are successful. They should be more time on the tools, training dogs, blah, blah, blah. And that's fair to think. But what you don't know is those people are dealing with other issues all the time. Like their life is not as easy as you might think, you Mm. know, to get to a hundred thousand followers on any platform. The reason you get to that is because of there's an element of polarization. You're having to argue with people. You're having people send you DMs that you don't want to see, you know, you're getting a lot of comments from people that are likely to cut you up pretty badly. And those people are having to deal with that. That's part of the cost of doing that sort of thing. It's a cost that they're paying, but it's a cost that a lot of other people don't necessarily see and therefore don't account into the picture of like the work that that person is doing. I guess what I'm beating around the bush to say is that be careful looking at somebody else and saying you're doing too good for the station that you're at because you don't necessarily really understand the station that they are at. There's a lot of ingredients that go into the picture of success and you can have those in many and various ratios. All those ingredients can come together in many ways to create success. It's not as linear a process as people sometimes think. I was involved in a minor discussion about the job role of nurses and doctors. A colleague whose partner was a nurse and they were complaining about all the work they do and how the doctors get all the credibility and yet they just walk in the room, they're there for five minutes and they basically get the bigger pay, all the credibility, and yet the nurses are emptying the bedpans, taking the temperatures, putting the IVs in doing and doing the leg that. work. Doing all the legwork, which I totally agree. I've been in hospital before. I've seen it for myself. I know that nurses are amazing and they form a huge part of people's recovery and health. I totally get it. But they're also not the ones who hang their head on the end of the spear when they have to mm. give discussions about what it is that's actually – nurses don't tell you. Like they don't disclose what it is that's an issue. The doctor has to come in and say, based on my years of medical training. Now I know some nurses are very fucking good and they know what they're talking about. I've had ultrasound things Mm -hmm. before and the person there who is doing the reading, they know exactly what they're looking at and what is going on, but they still can't sign off on it. The doctor needs to Mm -hmm. do that. The doctor is the one that is responsible at the end of the day with four years of medical school. They've had to do internships. They're the ones that their head goes on the pike at the end of the day when they say what or what it may not be. 
there's a huge degree of responsibility there. And as you and I started this conversation off when we said, what do you call the person who comes last in medical school? Doctor. There are magnificent doctors and there are very, very sketchy doctors. You wouldn't send your pet bullfrog to them. However, sometimes when they're on their best, they do good work. But would you want that person putting a scalpel to you? That's the hmm. that question you've got to ask yourself is some of these people don't really want to get any better. They don't want to study any more medicine. They're just done. They literally just want to hide in an office, take your temperature, stick a vaccine in your arm, and yet they still get the right and privilege of being known as a doctor where others go on, they study, they go back to school, they learn about the medications they're prescribing They are very heavily involved in a lot of the linear learning pathways that doctors need to be involved in because they want to know. They take a lot of pride in what they're doing. And I see a parallel universe to dog trainers in that field as well. I know some dog trainers who are very lazy people and they don't care about what they do. They don't turn up for any further education. They do not care. They literally are just thinking this is good enough. But that question really needs to reside in people's minds about anything they're doing, if I'm going to wrap up this part of what I'm talking about, is what is enough to you? And that really is the question that you need to be comfortable with because it's a question that I ask myself quite on a regular basis. What does enough look like? What Mm. What is a good enough life for me? as opposed to a good enough life for somebody else. I know people who are involved in private equity and they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars as a sole person and yet they're still in the game. They're still in the office Mm. every morning. They're still putting on a suit. They're still driving through traffic, enduring all that shit that they've got to do and yet that person is worth $100 million or more. And I'm not saying this because I this is a fictionary thing that I've just developed. I know these people and I've sat in the rooms with them. And the question mm. that I always have for myself is why are you here? And yeah. why are you doing this? Like yeah. what is enough? Because I know yeah. what enough is for me. Enough is just to live comfortably. I don't need a lot. It's not to say that I don't desire things and I don't like think, oh, that would be nice. But I don't know what it is to live a life of that as well, so I'm not remiss of it if it's not there. I'm not saying that I don't think my life could be better, it could be improved and so forth, but what is enough? You kind of really need to define what that is so you can reach a level of happiness in your own life. I feel you might think, yeah, man, you're talking a load of shit, you're just waffling on and this is a contrived conversation. But believe me, I've put some legwork into this thought because – I've had family members where they never reach their full potential because they're always chasing the elusive extra dollars when really they absolutely had enough. Mm. And that's where I'm going to leave that. Yeah. All right. I'm going to do the wrap up. That's it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Then just go to another one and do it there. Nobody checks. You're allowed to do it anywhere you want. Yeah. But don't Uh, cancel people. Don't cancel them. (laughs) You can't do it. You can yeah. try. Try cancel People who cancel other people, like give them one star. <laughs> Get on their subscription right, service it, and say, this son of a bitch is, a, is part of the cancel culture. They can go burn in hell one star.
<laughs> yeah, there you go. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to jump into Patreon. A few bucks a month gets you a giant backlog of information as well as more stuff going forward. There's a bunch of different tiers. You can have a live stream once a month, ask me whatever you like, all the way up to giving us a Lamborghini if you'd like. That's totally allowed. If the other way you can support the show is to get into spring and buy mm. yourself some cool merch, get yourself some T-shirts. It's always fun when we see people wearing our T-shirts. I saw Brittany Young. And if you she wanted- did a live the other day. She was wearing a Oh, cool she sp- did? I saw that. Yep. She was. She even That's- told everyone that she had a cool story show with your dog T-shirt on and she went down yep. to a dog park and did a whole spiel about her experiences at a dog park. Love it. Yep. All right, if you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is to jump into the Facebook discussion group. There's more than 10,000 people in there, all, you know, sharing information, having a good time. No one's being a dick to anybody in there, except for the odd comment that we we sometimes (laughs) let people expose themselves with. (laughs) Or if you want to shoot us an email, we are info at the canineparadigm.com. Love you. Goodbye.